So let's just pray for God's Spirit to guide us and teach us. We thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that you came to bring in the time of your Holy Spirit who was going to be poured out after you had died so that we can listen and understand and your word can come alive to us in a new way. So we pray that will happen this morning and we may be humble and obedient and open to what you say to us. For your name's sake. Amen. I want just to make two sort of introductory comments and then pick up two basic truths that are very clear in these verses. The first comment is this, that John's Gospel is in every way a unique and different Gospel, completely different from the other three Gospels. Not to say that the other three Gospels aren't great. They are. They're wonderful. And they give us accounts of the life of Jesus and some of the things that he taught and said. But somehow this Gospel of John stands on its own. The events of Jesus' life are in this Gospel and um, they're great, and they are similar to the other Gospels and sometimes express different things. But this Gospel focuses on Jesus in a quite different and vital way. And it is the Gospel of the I Ams. I hope we're all aware of this, that right through this Gospel there are a number of places where Jesus simply says, I am, whatever it may be. And it's interesting in chapter 1 that we find someone appearing, John the Baptist, and he says, I am the voice. Isn't that significant how different it is from the other I ams? John the Baptist simply says, I am the voice saying, make straight the way of the Lord. Don't look at me, look at him. How different. I am the voice. In chapter 4, a, a woman met Jesus at the well, if you remember, and she said to him, I'm waiting for the Messiah. And when he comes, he will explain everything. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am. It's just I am at that point. I who speak to you, I am. In other words, I'm present, I'm here, I'm alive. It's I am, not I was. I am here. And in chapter 6, as we heard a few Sundays ago, I am the bread of life. And here today, this morning, 
I am the light of the world. And when you think about it, I was just trying to stop and think about those words. They're incredible. It says, I am, here and now, present, real, I am the light. Not I am a light in a world of many different lights. I am the light. I hope you're aware and have picked that up as you think about what he's saying. I am the light of the world. I'm not just the, the light of Palestine. I'm not just the light of um, other countries around here. I am the light of the world. That is surely the significance of this outrageous statement. Fancy standing up and saying, I am the light of the whole world. And that sort of talk demands a verdict. There's no sitting on the fence when someone talks like that. No sitting back and saying, oh, how interesting. You're the light of the world, are you? That statement demands a verdict. I believe God has given this country a wonderful Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby. And I remember once hearing him say, whenever I speak, I always make a point of mentioning the name of Jesus, of talking about Jesus, of pointing to Jesus. Thank God for an archbishop who says that. I'm sure other archbishops have talked about Jesus, but he says, whenever I'm talking and speaking in public, I always point to Jesus. And I always remember how electrified I was when I discovered that when he made his first press conference as archbishop, he started by saying, may we just pause and pray. Can you imagine anybody else starting a press conference by saying that? And this chapter 8 in um, John's Gospel is just full of Jesus. And another significant thing about it is, let me read verse 14, if you have a look at that. Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I am going. And again and again, there is a sort of pointing at himself when Jesus is talking. If you like, self-centered. And I know I react. If I'm listening to somebody who is totally self-centered, I react and draw back and say, I don't like that. But if you look at what Jesus does, it is over and over again self-centered. Verse 18, I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. And he is pointing to himself. 
Don't make any mistake on that. And yet, I have to believe and say, there is not a trace of arrogance. How is that? Or do you think I'm just making that up? Of course, he was very arrogant. But somehow his life and attitudes and behavior does not speak of arrogance, but it does speak of himself. That was one thing that struck me. The other thing is this. I was reading again those words in verse 12, and it says, Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. And I stopped and thought, really? If we follow Jesus, we will never walk in darkness. How can that be, never walking in darkness? And I was thinking how, as we look at the world around us, so many people do seem to be walking in darkness, uncertain, groping, hoping, walking in darkness. But this says you'll never walk in darkness. And it says never walk in darkness, but you'll have the light of life. This wonderful contrast between light and darkness and emphasis on light and life. Those two are linked together. And if you read John's letters, and I hope you've done that a bit, one John has the same emphasis by the same man, not surprising. And in one John, chapter, five, chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, this is the message we've heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his Son purifies us from all sin. And over and over again in 1 John, there is this emphasis on light and life. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Never walk in darkness. And back in chapter 1 of this gospel, we read this. The word, that is Jesus, was the source of life. And this life brought light to mankind. Right at the start of the gospel, this Jesus, this life, brought light to mankind. I don't know whether you ever get up in the middle of the night, but just the last few days, say a week ago, I went to the window in our bedroom, which faces south, and I looked out, and I said to myself, this is incredible, I don't know whether you looked out, right in the middle of the night, there was all the garden bathed in light. It was an extraordinary experience. 
if, the, if there's another full moon, take the opportunity to get up in the middle of the night and go and look out of the window. And it was a clear sky, and the moon was shining as brightly as could be. And it was light. It was a marvelous experience and reminder to us. The moon was bathing the garden and all around in bright light. You wouldn't have needed anything in the way of a torch or a light to take with you. That was bathed in light. And Jesus, it says at the beginning of this gospel, this life brought light to mankind. But I went back and said, never walk in darkness. Is that true for the Christian that if we follow Jesus, we will never walk in darkness? And I thought another saying of Jesus, a couple of pages back, Jesus was talking to that woman at the well, and Jesus said, Everyone who drinks this water, as in this well in front of us, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. And it's the same word. Jesus is the light of the world. If you follow him, you will never walk in darkness. If you drink this water, which is a picture of the water I can give, you will never be thirsty again. But then I said to myself, of course the answer is, it starts here, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. And any of us, if we are Christians, all of us are in danger of stopping following Jesus day by day and then we start walking in darkness and if we drink the water of life and receive Jesus's life but then go about our daily life and stop drinking of that water of life of course we will thirst so I said to myself, it is a very severe and important warning that any of us who are Christians can allow a blockage to come into our life and the light stops shining in the darkness. Or we can turn away and try and find fulfillment and satisfaction in other things and we shall thirst again. Just this morning, Mary and I every morning read together the little book called Daily Light. And the, the verse, the key verse for today was, a man is not satisfied by the amount of possessions and things in his life. Contentment is not brought by more and more possessions and things which we are surrounded by, constantly told. The key thing is in our economy is to get richer and better off and more things and more possessions and more money. And 
this reading in Paul to Timothy was, a man's life is not fulfilled and summed up in the amount of his possessions. So let's take the warning on board. Don't stop following or you'll lose the light in your life. Don't stop drinking of the water of life that Jesus gives us or you will start thirsting. So just a couple of things that came to me and now two final things that I want to emphasize that come here. Let's go back for a moment and think of darkness and light as in verse 12. And it seems to me that many people in the world around us think of dark and light as different and contrasting and often fascinating and Attractive, the difference between darkness and light in the world around us. But to Jesus, and right through the Bible, and particularly in the New Testament, we find that they are symbols of, or pictures, of right and wrong, of good and evil, of truth and error. That is the relevance and importance as we think of light and darkness. There's a devastating verse 23. If you look at 23, he continued, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. What a devastating thing to say if you and I were to say that to a group of people. You are of this world. I am not of this world. You are from below. I am from above. Just think of what that says to us. And he pick, he's picking up what he says in verse 21. I'm going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. No wonder they were mystified by such talk. Because he knew that he was talking about a completely different world and view of life. It was quite different what he was talking about in these verses and he says the same sort of thing in verse 15 you judge by human standards I pass judgment on no one by human standards something quite different you judge you look at the world judging by human standards interestingly in one of Paul's letters he says the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16. He writes, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ himself in this way, we do so no longer. And then he goes on to say the next verse, if anyone is in Christ... 
he or she is a new creation. Everything becomes different and we see things in a different light. It was the same message when he, he spoke to Nicodemus. You remember that leading Jew and very clever and influential man. He said, just be clear. You and everyone in the world need to be born again. Or as it says in the Bible in the bottom, it says, or born from above. And from above and down below, that's what he's saying in this chapter 8. That's what he was saying to that man, Nicodemus. And then, further in John chapter 3, it goes on and sums it all up. And Jesus said, this is the verdict that light has come into the world. Just the same as it says here. Light has come into the world, but... People loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. What a summary. What a, a comment to make on our world, which is so full of so many things that are good and beautiful and sought after and fulfilling and satisfying. So many lovely things in this world. But John, John and Jesus there in John 3, his verdict is, this is the verdict, light has come into the world, but people loved, and perhaps we can say continue to love darkness instead of light, because their deeds are evil. So, over and over again, this theme is coming out here in John's Gospel. And again, if you go back to the start in John chapter 1, it says there, right at the beginning in that wonderful passage, where it speaks of Jesus as the Word, it says, The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And it's interesting that the Greek word there, and it says so in the bottom again, it says, or overcome it. And the word can mean either. The darkness has not overcome it. Thank God for that, that Jesus conquered evil, and the darkness has not overcome the light. But the other meaning is, the darkness has not understood it. And isn't that significance that so many people sadly just don't get it, as we say. That people don't understand all this stuff about you need to be born from above. You need to see things differently. You need to walk in the light. And people don't, it says, understand it. Jesus spelt it out so clearly. And no wonder in the chapter that Chris dealt with a, a Sunday or two ago, in chapter 6 and verse 66, there we read this. 
Verse 66, from this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. That was the result of the light being shining and being shown and being highlighted and emphasized. Many people said, I can't take it. And many people said, I just don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. If you look at verse 27 here, they did not understand what they, he was telling them about his father. And this is a fact that many people just don't get it or understand it. Thankfully, the light is not overcome. And let's take encouragement that here at the end, verse 30, even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. So you get the contrast of reaction. In chapter 6, many turned back and wouldn't have any more of it. Here, thankfully, many, as he spoke, put their faith in him. What a contrast and how encouraging that is. And the last thing I would just try to highlight for a moment is about relationship. I've always believed that Christianity is basically about relationship with God and with one another. And so you get it again if you go to John's letter, 1 John, in chapter 1, as I read just now, this is the message we've heard from him and declared to you, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. Chapter 3, this is the message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Our relationship with God, he is light. Our relationship with people around we should love one another. And again, interestingly, I've heard Archbishop Justin emphasizing how that should be a quality of every true Christian. We should love one another. And here in this chapter 8, the key relationship in view is between God and his Son, between the Father and the Son. And I enjoy, um, I, I've got a, a rather big concordance, which tells me all the verses that are in the Bible everywhere and everything. I hope you've got a concordance, and I hope you use it. It is a, absolutely invaluable. My older brother gave me my massive, great, big con concordance in 1956. It's falling apart now, but it has been used and it is vital so that we can really get into what the Bible says and see the links and look them up and so on. And I found this. In John's Gospel, the Father is mentioned 70 times. In John's Gospel, and that is far more times than in the other three Gospels put together. And more than that, of those 70 mentions in John's Gospel, 
21 of those are in chapter 8. So, take my word, this chapter is all about God the Father. And so it must have something important to tell us. It seems to me that it is vital to see the Father and who he is. And it's a pattern of how important fatherhood is. Mind you, I was deeply fond of my mum, and mother's relationship is vital. But here is an emphasis on the father. And you men and I, we need to take on board the vitally important part we have to play in life as father. But Jesus was more than just a human being. If you look at verses 16 to 18, he speaks of himself. If I do judge, my decisions are right because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. Verse 18, I'm the one who testifies for myself, but my other witness is God the Father who sent me. And that is a special and vital relationship. And as he spoke more of the Father and his relationship with the Father, if you look at the last little paragraph, verse 27, they didn't understand all this stuff about his Father. So Jesus said, verse 28, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am what I claim to be. When you have lifted up the Son of Man. Isn't that amazing? At that point, he was more and more pointing forward to what was going to happen to him and saying, in a way, don't remember the life I've lived. Remember, that is the significant and special moment when you have lifted up, you have put to death the Son of Man, then you will know who I am. I am. Right back in the Old Testament, I am was the revelation to the people of Israel. And he, Jesus, came and he lived his life. But when you nail me to the cross then you will understand who I am. And I'm sure we're right always to, to say the vital thing is when he died for our sins. That's what is the key that unlocks this whole relationship and emphasizes his special relationship with his father because Verse 29, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. And I would leave that little phrase in our minds as I finish. I always do what pleases him. That was the special emphasis of his life with his father. I always do what pleases him. And 
maybe you'll read again this wonderful chapter and think of that little phrase as you and I go into tomorrow and a new, new week. Always do what pleases him. Let's pray for a moment. <clears throat> we thank you, Lord, for this chapter in this gospel. And thank you that without a hint of arrogance, you always pointed to yourself. And now here, you tell your people, you tell us today, you always did what pleased your Father. And please may that be our determination, always to do what pleases your Father, what pleases you, our Saviour. I always do what pleases him. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you suffered and died to bring us life, to bring us light. And we pray day by day we may walk in the light and we may have fellowship with one another as we always seek to please you. For your name's sake. Amen.